This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? It's ZDog MDs, Dr. Zubin Demania. If you're nasty, welcome to the show. Today's a live show. I'm gonna cross stream. You're not supposed to cross the streams. I believe Egon said that. He said that would be bad. But it's been one of those, you know, couple of years now where we've all been going a little crazy. And I'll tell you, me personally, I am tired of COVID. I'm tired of vaccines. I'm tired of politics, I'm tired of the news, I'm tired of all of it, tired of social media. So that brings up the question, first of all, what's it like to be tired? How is it that we even have an experience, a sense of I amness that includes this idea of being tired? And it got me thinking, what's the one thing that we all share? I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or a QAnon or an anti-vaxxer or a Russian or a Chinese Communist Party member. We all share this thing that scientists call consciousness. In other words, we're all having an experience right now. And that is something that transcends everything. It is the most primal truth. It's the one thing you can say without a doubt. Everything else can be illusion. But the one thing we can say without a doubt is that we are aware. And we can say that because we're having the experience that confirms it. And we're the only person that can confirm that we are having the experience because that's what awareness is. It's this personal experience that we have. Now, why do, why do I care about this? Because first of all, we share it in common, so we can talk about it. <clears throat> I don't care what your belief structure is. I don't care whether you're pro-science, anti-science, pro-God, anti-God, pro-religion, it doesn't matter. We can all agree that we're having an experience right now. We're all aware. And this is something that in my life, this exploration of why, how, what is awareness has become one of the fundamentally most important questions that I care about. Like healthcare, whatever, it'll work itself out with our help, right? Um, Politics, yeah. The economy, sure. Uh, Education, important. And then you sit down where you are right now, here and now, and pay attention to the fact that you're aware. 
not just awake, not dreaming, whatever, having any experience at all. You're seeing, if your eyes are open and you're visually not impaired, you're seeing light and shadow and colors. You're hearing the sound of my voice or reading the captions if you're hearing impaired and you're having thoughts. What the hell is Z-Dog talking about? Has he jumped the shark because he's bald? Could he be the next Deepak Chopra who isn't bald, but bald would be an improvement? I mean, these are the fundamental questions, right? But in all seriousness, when I sit, whether I'm meditating or whether I'm just sitting around and I at any point turn my attention on the fact that I'm having any experience at all, it is one of the most fundamentally mysterious things in the entire universe. It's probably the biggest mystery in the whole universe. And we experience it right here and right now, every single second we've been alive. And that in itself ought to be reason to explore why, what, how, where, what? But if that isn't enough, many of us are in healthcare, we have to wonder if we don't understand the biggest in your face mystery that's sitting with us every single day, isn't the rest of medicine, all the you know kind of uh, physicalist science that we do and moving these icons around and trying to figure out how this molecule interacts with that and developing a vaccine to prevent this and the immune system works like that and this chemical and this endocrine system interacts with this. No, how, how does any of that really matter if we don't even understand how we're experiencing that? And is there something outside of our ability to experience? In other words, is there a reality outside of consciousness that can be manipulated and fooled around with? Or is there only consciousness? So what I wanna do right now, and this is purely for, this is self-indulgence, but I think there's gonna be enough of you that are with me on this exploration that are seekers of some kind. And if you're not a seeker, in other words, you're not trying to find out these philosophical questions and you're a practicalist, in other words, how do I just get through my day? I'm trying to survive this pandemic. I'm trying to take care of my kids. I'm trying to keep my job without going crazy. I'm trying to figure out how I can get this damn vaccine that is so hard to get because the rollout is hard and the distribution's a mess. And Or I'm scared of this vaccine because I haven't watched enough Z-Dog videos to get woke to it. All right, for you guys, I just want you to humor me, okay? And think about this because the answer to the consciousness question may well determine how we do medicine, how we see each other in the world, how we treat our fellow conscious entities with love and connection and respect and compassion instead of division and hatred and petty partisan bullshit that in the end doesn't matter because fundamentally at the core, we're all this thing, which is awareness. So let's talk about this. People wonder like, what the hell is consciousness? By the way, we don't talk about this in medical school. This is not something they teach you. I'll tell you what they do teach you. They teach you about levels of awareness. In other words, you're, your GCS, your Glasgow Coma Score is a three, which means you're not responsive and you're effectively like a rock there. Or you're a you know, 10, which is X, Y, and Z. And you're this awake and you're able to answer these questions and your cognitive function is at this level. And this is, a, what it doesn't talk about is, are you having an experience at all? And why? <laughs> How does that happen? 
how does three pounds of wet goo generate the experience I'm having right now, which is I'm looking at a camera lens and in my peripheral vision, I'm having an experience of two monitors, one showing me comment streaming, the other showing me the health of my 4K stream to YouTube and Facebook. And my mind, I'm having an experience of thoughts racing, like, do these people think I'm crazy? Is my stream falling apart? Not my urine stream, my internet stream of video. What's the next thing I'm gonna say? Why are we talking about this at all, right? All of this is happening within a field of my experience. And I'm having this experience, you're not having my experience, I'm having this experience right here and now. And when I remember something, I'm having that memory right here and now. When I think about the future, like where am I gonna post this video? What am I gonna title it? What's the thumbnail gonna be? I'm projecting a future, but I'm having that projected experience right here and now in awareness, which in medical school or nursing school or pharmacy school, they don't teach you about at all. How does three pounds of wet goo, the brain, generate that field of isness, of amness, of experience? We have no clue at all at all. And that should make you perk up your eyes and ears and heart because when we have no clue at all what generates consciousness, that's a huge mystery. And once we even start to solve it, don't you think a lot of our other questions, why do we have mental illness? Why is the mind and the body so connected? Why is it that the placebo effect exists at all? Why can you give someone a sugar pill and they have bodily exchanges and experience and physiologic changes as if you gave them the real thing, the real thing? What's going on with childhood trauma? Why does it groove into us in a physical way that generates adult disease? People, we don't even know why we have an experience. That should interest you. It certainly interests me. And it's interested philosophers and, and religious people and poets and artists for millennia, but it's just now beginning to interest scientists. And that's crazy. So what I wanna talk about is a science of consciousness. Now, earlier I said something that some of you are gonna disagree with. You're gonna say, what do you mean we have no clue? And I see in the comments, people are talking about simulations and all that. We'll, we'll try to get into that. So what do you mean we have no clue how the brain generates consciousness? There's plenty of theories about how the brain generates consciousness, all right? Let me go through some of those, all right. The fundamental dogma of the enlightenment, of the scientific revolution, is different than the dogma that came before it. The dogma that came before it was magic and superstition and pure religion in the sense that everything is some spirit and magic and God and we don't quite understand anything else and we're gifted with this spirit that is aware and awake and that's what there is and then there's the spiritual world 
and there's the material world. That was the pre-existing kind of general philosophy, the, the spiritual world and the material world and that awareness and consciousness. By the way, welcome to the Supporter Tribe, Michael Whitbeck on YouTube. Consciousness and awareness and experience and all that is separate from the physical realm of matter and stuff. And that is something that philosophers call a dualism. It means that our explanation of reality is that there's really two aspects to it. There's, there, it's split into two things that are looked at totally separately. There's the material world, and then there's this spiritual world. And that's a dualism. Now, when the scientific revolution happened, ultimately what they said is, oh, look, we can actually measure things. There's an objective reality that is in the physical world. And in fact, as we start to wake up and realize, oh, there's no sacred life force, like these are cells with biological processes, chemical reactions. And then look at this, the brain, which the ancients didn't even think was involved in cognition. They thought cognition and thinking and all that was here and emotion was here. It wasn't here. This was something totally different. They started to realize, oh, when people have certain injuries in the brain, it correlates to certain deficits in the contents of consciousness, how people behave, how they experience the world, different smells, different sights, different tastes, different behaviors. The brain is responsible for our experience. It must be because everything else seems to be very successfully explained by the scientific method, assuming a different status for the world, which is, the world is a physical place made of atoms and molecules and quarks, and you can keep looking and keep looking and find more and more stuff, and then expand it out with telescopes. There's galaxies and superclusters of galaxies in the universe, and extrapolate it back. It looks like there was a big bang, and there's cosmic background radiation. And therefore, if this stuff is what's real, this is no longer dualism. This is what they call a monism. It's, a, it's one thing, everything is stuff. And what we're calling the spiritual or the experiential or the subjective realm is simply an emergent property of physical matter. So we have dead inanimate stuff that if it existed without a conscious witness would still exist in space and time as something without us to watch it. And that something through processes, dynamic evolution, where you know just by the laws of nature, molecules combine, you end up with a lightning strike. The next thing you know, you have an RNA molecule that then combines with this, it self-replicates. Next thing you know, you have primitive cells. Next thing you know, you have fish. Next thing you know, you have humans. And that's all explicable through matter interacting with itself. And then at some point, a switch turns on where that matter becomes aware. That's a miracle, isn't it? Like that would strike you as a miracle that dead inanimate matter can attain sufficient complexity to become awake to ex encounter the feeling of being in love, to be able to meditate on its own awareness and be aware of being aware. That's a miracle, right? But we call that, 
the current scientific dogma of physicalism, materialism, that stuff generates consciousness. And it started with the Big Bang and complexity emerged. And there are subsequent theories in science that say, okay, so how does this matter somehow explain configurations of matter, explain the taste of chocolate or the sight of stars at night as a subjective experience? Well, we don't know, but it must, right? It, it, it has to because we see the brain and there are these neural correlates of consciousness, what David Chalmers called the easy problem of consciousness. Well, when I have a taste of chocolate, what lights up in the brain? What part of the brain is that? Yeah, we're, we're starting to nail that. You can even put high powered magnets over parts of the brain and change your conscious experience. You can drain all the color out of one visual field with a powerful transcranial magnet that generates electric currents in the brain. So it must be that the brain is causal. It creates consciousness, right? And this is the scientific dogma. There are these correlates, they're very tight. I can do this, my taste of chocolate changes. I can get a coronavirus infection. It can infect my nerve cells in my olfactory bulb and I lose my sense of smell, I'm no longer, I no longer have that type of consciousness. So it must be that stuff generates consciousness and tweaking the stuff can change consciousness. That's the current scientific dogma. Now, if you ask a scientist, well, explain to me then what configuration of matter is responsible for the taste of chocolate? They can't even begin to tell you. And you can take the more complex theories of consciousness and say, well, okay, integrated information theory, IIT, Tononi's theory that, well, when complex structures integrate information like incoming sensory information in the form of neural impulses and ion-gated channels in the brain and you know uh, 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 this very complex, remember the brain is more complex than any known thing in the universe. It has more neural connections than there are stars in the known universe. It is complex beyond the mind's own ability to com comprehend complexity. When information is processed, it just so happens that consciousness emerges from this phenomenon of information processing and our experience is what it's like to process information in a complex system like the brain. And there are some formulas you can look at for levels of complexity called phi, and you can see, okay, well, da, 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 da. okay, but still explain to me then what configuration of complexity explains the taste of chocolate or the love for your child. And that's where it all falls apart. Now, people will say, well, we don't, we simply don't have the capacity. The brain itself is complex and beautiful, but it's not enough, it's not enough intelligence to understand why consciousness is. And it's just, once we really get progressively smarter, we'll figure it out, totally possible, right? or we'll never reach a point where we'll be able to understand why consciousness emerges from the brain, but it does, and that's all we need to know. Let's figure out the neural correlates of consciousness so that we can treat different neurologic conditions and understand how to take certain medications to make us feel better and change our mind-body experience and so on. And my problem with that, and many others' problem with that, is that first of all, it fails the sniff test of intuition. 
introspect for just five minutes, meditate for 10 minutes. And that experience you're having is so beyond the realm of being explicable by neural synaptic pathways that are dead. In other, in other words, these are matter, right? That you, you can't even extrapolate how that would be explicable. Now, it doesn't mean it's not. Because this, the next theory, the compromise theory then that people have is something that brings back. So physicalism is a monistic, it's a monad. It's, it's a single explanation, one thing. Everything's stuff and consciousness just happens to be an emergent property of stuff. And that's been the dominant paradigm for the last two, 300 years as the scientific revolution took over. And we buy the science because boy, it explains a lot. I mean, the reason I'm able to communicate with you is the science of quantum mechanics that explains these electronics that we use that allow me to stream internet to you. What it doesn't explain is how you're having the experience of my face on your screen and listening to my voice and your brain is racing going, what the hell is he talking about? It doesn't explain that at all, right? So the next theory out there is something called panpsychism. And it, it, it attempts to explain how dead matter can emerge a mind, a, a, a sense of I am, right? Panpsychism is a dualism again. We're back to dualism. It says there's matter, atoms, electrons, quarks, but this matter actually has a property, a valence of consciousness. So every single you know, atom, every single uh, molecule has some spin, some little aspect, like a property, like charge or spin or electromagnetism a little aspect of consciousness. So an electron has some fractional consciousness in addition to its mass and matter and charge and spin. And somehow when these things combine, there's an emergent higher consciousness that then can experience the taste of chocolate or the feeling of love or the sound of my voice. And panpsychism is interesting because it's very hard to prove or disprove, right? Like all these theories. Um, and it's a dualism. So it says, give me matter and give me consciousness as a function of the universe, as fundamental properties, and I'll explain how things work. The problem with it is there's no answer for this combination problem. How is it that these things combine to form higher consciousness? And does that mean that this clock has some level of consciousness. Like, cause it's got atoms and electrons and why don't they add up to this thing having a deep, rich experience? It's got a lot of molecules. It processes information. It's processing time right now, electronically in a very complex way that none of us, you can't explain it. Everyone thinks they can explain how a digital clock works. They can't. Oh, there's a quartz crystal in there. And then, okay, so explain some more. Uh, it's called the explanatory gap. We think we're smarter than we are. There's very few humans that can explain to you exactly how that digital clock works, right? They're called electrical engineers and even they can't explain every aspect of it. They can explain the part they work on. So this idea of panpsychism where, oh, well maybe just consciousness is a fundamental property of the universe in addition to matter, right? 
Now, let's take both these theories, physicalism, everything's matter and it emerges consciousness, and panpsychism. Matter and consciousness are two aspects of reality, like properties of nature, okay. None of those theories can explain what we actually see in reality with our science. So let me explain. We all know we're having an experience. And in fact, by the way, <clears throat> we'll talk about Descartes, I think, therefore I am. That's wrong. <laughs> Descartes was saying, you know, something different. What we're saying is I am. Therefore, I'm aware of thinking. I can experience my thoughts. I can watch them come together. I'm this open awareness, this consciousness that experiences thoughts. I am, therefore I am. Popeye was right. Descartes was just making shit up. So the biggest hole in our understanding of reality right now is quantum mechanics. So let me explain. Now, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, all the kooks and quacks and new age bozos invoke quantum mechanics and they say words like quantum and field theory and when they don't know what they're talking about, all right? I'm not gonna do that because that's bullshit. What I'm telling you is here's our understanding of quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics explains the very small, the behavior of atoms and electron orbitals, um, fields, things like that on a very small level. Whereas, you know, general relativity and special relativity explain light and large scale gravi gravitational issues. The first problem is relativity, the very large, and quantum mechanics, the very small, do not vibe in certain situations. They fall apart on each other. That's a major problem. And again, like I started this thing where I said, hey, we all have one thing in common, we're all aware. And we also have another thing in common. The biggest unsolved problem in the universe is sitting in your chair right now, having an experience. And the fact that this experience is being had is the biggest mystery in the universe, right? The second biggest mystery is why the hell quantum mechanics is the way it is and why it doesn't vibe with relativity. And let me explain a little further. So in quantum mechanics, I'm gonna make sure I'm still streaming here, good. There's still some people watching too. I'm amazed I haven't lost you all. In quantum mechanics, there are a lot of formulas. It's one of the most successful scientific theories at predicting reality. In other words, if you, if you look at those equations and you look at quantum mechanics, you are going to predict reality, what you observe, what you actually see, right? to extraordinary levels of accuracy. Quantum mechanics is simply true as a predictive model, it works. So then let's ask ourselves what it says. It says that reality at a small level exists in clouds of probability that settle down into their final observable measurable state when some entity measures them. So do they exist at all in any real state of location and velocity and mass and all those things if no one's looking? And so far, every test that looks at quantum mechanics says that local reality, that something exists when it's not observed or measured is not true. You could go so far as to say the moon as such doesn't exist 
unless it's being observed. An electron's location doesn't exist unless it's being observed. And scientists will say, well, you know, maybe there's some fudge there because our measurement changes the cloud and it, it has some interaction, right, right, right. But when they really look into it, for example, you know, the slit lamp experiment, the famous slit lamp experiment where you shoot a photon of light through this slit. And if you measure the photon, it behaves as a particle, one single dot on a measurement film. If you don't measure it until after it's hit the film, it shows up as a wave interference pattern. And I can't get into the details of this, but suffice it to say this quantum weirdness is so perplexing that Einstein didn't believe it. He was like, what the hell? Like this makes no sense at all. And yet it's observationally true and true and true and true and true. So much so that you can measure wave interference patterns from quasars billions of light years away. And if you, if you, if you observe the light before it hits the, the thing, it does the same pattern, either it's a particle or a wave. And that light left that quasar billions of years ago. So somehow you've retroactively determined whether that photon was a wave or a particle into history billions of years. That's fucking weird, right? That's one of the weirdest things in nature. And yet it's an aspect of reality. Now, physicalism can't quite explain the why of what that is. It just says, uh, you know, maybe we need to do more measurements. Maybe we need to refine quantum mechanics. Maybe there's a measurement effect that's changing things. And we're just not understanding this correctly. And that's fully possible, right? Dualism says, yeah, that's all true. And there's also consciousness as part of particles. And we'll just figure out at some point what, how it emerges when it gets more complex. But then there's a third explanation for consciousness. And if you haven't seen my episode with Professor Donald Hoffman, who's a cognitive scientist, AI researcher, and uh, all around smart guy from UC Irvine, you should watch that. It's called The Case Against Reality. And Don proposes a modified version of what used to be called idealism. It's not idealism, it's an old philosophical idea. This is very different. He calls it conscious realism. And this is what he proposes. He says, okay, Physicalism makes this assumption that everything's matter and we spin up consciousness from it, but you need a miracle at some stage in the theory. So it says, grant me this miracle, that the Big Bang started everything and that at some point late in the theory, a second miracle occurs, which is dead matter becomes self-aware. So you need a couple miracles and the most important miracle that dead matter becomes self-aware happens late in the theory. Panpsychism is inelegant because it's a dualism. It says, well, there's matter and there's consciousness. And also how does it combine? And also it still doesn't explain the quantum mechanical weirdness and the fact that relativity and quantum mechanics don't mesh and that something's not quite right. So what Don proposes is this, what if we're just making a rookie mistake in understanding reality in that, in the following. So Don is a visual perception scientist as well. So his work on visual perception, he's written textbooks on it. And over a lifetime of studying visual perception and artificial intelligence, 
what he determined is that organisms, creatures, living entities, do not perceive any objective reality. They perceive an interface with reality, like a desktop on a computer, that allows them, that's simplified, that's a series of icons that allows us to survive. So whatever water is, we don't, we don't know what it really is in reality, right? It, we, we don't see atoms, we don't see weirdness, we don't know what it is, but what we see in terms of water is this, this liquidy shimmering stuff. And Don argues, and he's done lots of computational simulations and gives lots of examples in his book, The Case Against Reality, he argues that we evolved as a species and every species evolves their own interface to see just what we need to see in exactly the simplified computer desktop form we need to see it to survive, to reproduce. And what reality is, is something so complex and so beyond our ability to process that we can't see it in its true form, so therefore we create these icons on the fly. And we see reality in a way that's tuned to help us reproduce, which is why certain people look attractive to you, certain flavors and colors are more appealing to you, and very different to someone else who has a slightly different evolved mutation to look at something different. And then you look at people who are synesthetes who can hear colors, or see sounds, and they're a mutation in the visual perceptive interface. So what does this have to do with consciousness? Okay, assuming we don't see reality as it is, objective reality is something completely different. Well, how can we explain what all this is while explaining quantum mechanics? The rookie mistake we've made, Don argues, is that we have confused our interface in other words, these icons that we think are reality with reality itself. All of science, everything we think we know about the universe is known through our interface with the universe. And according to Don's simulations, if we actually saw what was really happening, we would go extinct because we wouldn't be able to do what matters, which is have sex, eat food, drink water. And in every simulation he runs, creatures that see reality as it is go extinct. Creatures that see reality as a series of fitness-tuned icons thrive. So if we're not seeing reality, we've made the rookie mistake of confusing an interface with reality and then wondering why we look at a brain and its neurons and it ion-gated channels and all these connections and go, how is that emerging consciousness? And Don's point is, we've been wrong this whole time. There's no brain as such. Brain is the icon we humans see when we look at the seat of who we are. That's what it looks like to a human interface. And what Don argues is all this stuff that we think is matter is simply our icon for something vastly more complex. And 
the reason we can't explain how the three pounds of wet goo generate mind is that there's no three pounds of wet goo. It's all mind. All of this is simply consciousness interacting with itself in a vast social network, evolving over time more complex little subconscious units that he calls conscious agents that each have the ability to perceive, decide, and act and form complex, more complex, mathematically modelable instantiations of awareness that ultimately form humans that then have an interface with the rest of the social network of consciousness that looks like time and space. And none of that's actually existing. All that exists is awareness. Now, let me rephrase all this in plain English. Instead of starting with matter and emerging consciousness, change the theory entirely. Start with consciousness as the only thing that's real. It's a monism. That's all there is. Awareness. And you can't describe awareness. It's not a thing. It doesn't exist in space and time. It just is. And through meditation, you can have aspects of understanding it, but not really, and you can't put it in words. So it's beyond our interface's ability to really grok but it's the primal substance, according to Don, consciousness. And consciousness spins up a world. Consciousness is all there is, and the world is a manifestation of it. How does the brain create awareness? It doesn't. The brain exists in awareness as an icon that helps us survive. If you tweak this aspect of the icon through surgery, your experience changes. You've tweaked something in the conscious agent matrix, which is pure consciousness interacting with itself through actual rules. Like it's scientifically explicable, just like physicalism, just instead of starting with quarks, start with conscious agents. And everything else emerges from that. Now, if you wanna really understand that, watch the interview, the two hour interview I did with Don that has like 600,000 views on YouTube because the people who really got it were like, holy fucking shit. The first time I heard Don's theories explained, especially mathematically, my, I, 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 it was that kind of feeling you get when you just go, oh my God, that, 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 something like that is the closest we've gotten to explaining everything in a monistic way, one thing that explains science. So in other words, it's fully compatible with science, but it's also compatible with every single spiritual tradition because you have a one bit conscious agent that can perceive, decide and act. That's the building blocks of reality. Each of those conscious agents start to form more complex agents by interacting and exchanging experience, having free will and deciding and instantiating a higher conscious agent that isn't, isn't accessible to the lower agents, but they're all part of this beautiful matrix. So what's a human? A trillion, 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 trillion conscious agents that exist as our subconscious, as what we in our interface see as cells and DNA, but are really just icons pointing to some deeper truth that we can't understand 
that exists in this conscious agent matrix. And when humans get together in a stadium or when they all watch one person, they form an even higher conscious agent that some might call an angel or a spirit. And then when all the conscious agents through infinity sum up, you might call that God. And what's amazing is God itself wouldn't have full access to its subconscious agents and its subconscious agents can only get a glimpse of what the infinite conscious agent feels like. Now this sounds insane, but you wanna hear something insane? Matter came into being from nothing during a big bang and through evolution suddenly emerged consciousness through mechanisms we can't yet understand. Which sounds crazier? <laughs> They're both equally crazy. But which solves the quantum mechanics problem in a monad way? Conscious realism. Because quantum mechanics then says, everything's dependent on an observer. There's weird stuff happening. And what conscious realism says is, well, first of all, time and space are a species specific construction that help us survive. They're not real in themselves. Therefore, all these questions about, oh, 13 billion years in the past, this light photon left. Now, okay, well, 13 billion years is a construct that humans make to compress data and allow us to survive. Space is a data compression scheme that allows us to make quick shorthand calculations. But space and time are not absolutely real. They're constructions of the animal mind, of the human mind. Therefore, these questions of space and time relating to relativity, relating to quantum mechanics are moot because they're simply manifestations of our interface. And if they're not self, if they're not self compatible, well, that just means our interface is our interface. It's not reality. It doesn't have to be self compatible. You don't look at your computer desktop and go, yeah, that trash can icon, that's actually a trash can. It's actually a trash can. Like it's made of metal and there's little documents in there. No, we know it points to a deeper reality of transistors and voltage gates and bits and zeros and ones. And just because it's not real, doesn't mean there isn't a reality there. The reality is the zeros and ones. The reality is the conscious agents forming everything. And just because the icon isn't real in itself, it points to something that's deadly serious. If I empty that trash can, I lose everything in it. That freight train coming towards me is an icon. It's not really a train. It points to some complex instantiation of consciousness. But I know that if I stand in front of it, I'm gonna suffer experiential consequences that through millions of years, which are an animal construction, of evolution, I know my interface tells me don't do that or this particular manifestation of consciousness is going to decay into its subconscious elements. We call that death. Do you get a sense of what I've been grappling <laughs> I've been kind of thinking about. So your subconscious mind, your emotional mind, your heart, these are all parts and partial of consciousness interacting with itself in this galaxy of reality that we are, we are as an individual, then combine that and sum that as a kind of almost a planetary consciousness. Then you look at galaxies 
and you look at galaxies spread apart, and then the scientists have just discovered these filaments of energy that connect the galaxies. And when you zoom out from that, what you see in our icon interface is a brain. <laughs> like all these galaxies with these filaments, they look like neural cells with axons connecting. And onward up it goes into complexity and downward into ourselves. And I think, honestly, that makes more sense to me. And no, I'm not high. And no, I've not been doing drugs. I've been looking at the science that Don Hoffman has put out and his theories, which are mathematically testable, but very hard to test in reality, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is when we have hit the wall in science, maybe we need to look at why that is. It's not that we've reached the limiting of our computational power or so on and so forth. We've reached the limits of understanding an interface. If we wanna hack into the source code of reality, we better understand what that interface is pointing to. And I, I wanna mention this. What that means is everything is awareness. It doesn't mean that this glass in itself is aware. It means that the icon of glass in space and time that I perceive points to something in the conscious agent social network that I don't need to know about beyond that it will help me drink water. I don't know what experience it's pointing to in and of itself. It may not be in, it may not be understandable in that way, but think about it this way. When you look at another human, our interface has evolved to read facial expressions so that you can get some sense of what their inner conscious experience is. In fact, if you can't do that, you're not evolved to survive in modern society, you need help. Because you don't have a theory of mind, you can't get into someone else's head easily. So our interface with other humans is very evolved to understand their inner life. But even then we fail. Like I could give you a poker face and you'd have no idea what I'm thinking. Now let's take it to the next level down. Look at your dog or your cat. You can start, first of all, a cat or a dog look like they do to us so we could survive. You see the dog's teeth? Okay, give it a little bit of space. You see that it's fluffy? Go ahead and pet it. There's an emotional reward. There may even be a physical reward in that the dog can help you do things. Cat, same thing, gives you some emotional support, not much else, and barely that. I'm a cat person, barely that. And you look at its face and you can get a glimpse of what's going on in there. But not much, just enough to get you to interact. So that icon gives you a look into the conscious agent underneath. Now, do we know that cats use a space-time interface? We don't. Have you ever seen them jump? Whatever their space-time interface is, it's different than ours. Now look at a tree. That's where our interface falls apart. We have no clue what the inner life of a tree is. All we need to know, because we have only so much conscious bandwidth, we can only understand so much as an information processor. All we need to know about a tree is it looks like that, we can cut it down, we can burn it, it can provide shade, it needs to be watered, those kind of things, right? That's all we need to know to survive. And that's all we see in a tree. If any of you have done mushrooms or LSD or other psychedelics, 
and gone and hung out with a tree. <laughs> Leave in the comments what you experienced. Don argues that psychedelics, which he's never done by the way, psychedelics are a means to shift our conscious interface to a different form. So people who smoke weed suddenly are either more paranoid or they're, they, things taste better, things sound better, or they're more chilled out. What happened? You took an interface that's highly evolved. You took a conscious agent in the form of a marijuana bud that you smoked. You introduced it into this conscious system. It exchanged experience with you and it changed for a period of time because we work in space time, your conscious experience of the world, your interface. The next time you smoke weed, and I know a lot of you there out there, I don't do it anymore because I'm too old. Come at it from that mindset. I just changed my interface and watch what happens. First of all, if you start to get paranoid or have a bad time, and you suddenly go, oh, so this is what it's like when your interface shifts so that everything that's perceived triggers more emotional response in the form of nervousness, paranoia, overthinking, self-referential thought, et cetera. And the high degree psychedelics, the DMTs and the psilocybins and the LSDs and mescaline, those kind of things, go out in nature, experience nature through a conscious interface that feels more plant-like and come back and tell me that this theory doesn't at least feel more accurate than a physicalist theory. Think about the physicalist explanation for psychedelics. A microgram quantity of lysergic acid diethylamine, LSD, ingested via sublingual absorption can transform your conscious awareness to a degree that you're not even human anymore. Explain that from a physical, well, there's gates and there's serotonin. Okay, how? How though, how? Can't even begin to make that explanation because our interface runs into limits there. So that's conscious realism. So we had physicalism, panpsychism, conscious realism. Weigh in in the comments. What do you think? How are we gonna science this up? How are we gonna figure it out? And that will be the subject of many future shows for those who are interested. And again, this is a little, Seems like a side hustle for me, but it's really all I care about anymore. It really is. And it's because partially because I'm getting older, partially because I've always been interested in this. And that's why I got interested in astronomy and I got interested in physics and I got interested in biology. Why, 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 how? How, ultimately, why are we awake? We'll figure this out, we'll figure this out. We haven't figured this out. Which means we need something now that incorporates all that science and uses a slightly different model that transcends and upends the entire thing. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about in the live show today. Um, now I'm gonna read some comments. So I'm glad you guys are still with me. Uh, <laughs> let's see, where to even begin now? Um, boy, uh, let's scroll down here. Uh, after 2020, I'm ready for a new interface, Cindy Gibson on Facebook. I feel you, I feel you. Um, gotta go within to study it, Joel Ford. All right, that's a great point, Joel. What is the scientific tool, one scientific tool to study consciousness? Scientists will laugh at this. It's introspection. How do you study awareness except through awareness? You can't, 
Nothing exists outside of awareness. Let's bring it all back to how I started the show. You're sitting here having an experience. That's mind blowing. How? Experience, just, just, just stop, 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 stop. What's aware? Ask yourself that question. What's aware right now? What is knowing this experience? What's knowing my thoughts? What's knowing the sound of my voice? What's knowing the things you're seeing? What is doing that? That is the biggest mystery in the universe. And if Don is right and everything is awareness, then you could say, I am knowing that and I am awareness and we are all the same thing, just different swirling eddies in a massive, infinite, eternal, undying social network that's outside of space and time, but that assumes the interface of space and time when it rises in, an, in a discrete point that forgets that it's part of a whole and exists as a human life, which is one of the most amazing lives. Can you imagine every human experience that we have, love and having children and the ecstatic joy of birth and falling in love and the, the, the joy of just being in the present moment, here I am. Where is the source of that, the ground of that being? And I'm arguing it ain't atoms and goo, right? So, um, Mary Hansen, being around trees and nature has so much energy, it's amazing. Why is that? I would argue because when we let go of this self-referential thinking, and by the way, meditation, to bring it back to the comment from before, is that tool to introspect to be aware of awareness, to watch your mind. By watching your mind, mystics have done this for millennia and they come away going, yeah, everything's consciousness, <laughs> duh. So, I mean, and again, we could be fooling ourselves if physicalism is true, all right? But back to this nature thing. I think nature is a way to lose our self-referential thinking, the fact that we're lost in thought and self-identified and reconnect with the larger network of this, of, of aware entities. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I have no, in my mind, I have no doubt that plants have, they point to a form of awareness that we don't access, right? It doesn't mean that if you kill a plant, they're feeling pain and you're anthropomorphizing, you're putting your own interface on something completely different. Animals, same thing, insects. Like it's very hard to imagine that an insect is a robot. Right? I mean, you can imagine it, but imagine that instead you're looking at a conscious agent that has evolved over millions of years to experience the world in a totally different way. And in fact, its interface can be fooled. There's an example Don gives of a beetle in Australia that nearly went extinct because it was having sex with discarded beer bottles because the pattern on the back of the beer bottle looked like the female's backside. That's an example of hacking the interface when nature looks abnormal, that thing almost went extinct and it would have because its interface failed it in reality when humans came and started making beer bottles. They had to change the beer bottle design to save this beetle. It's really fascinating. Um, Pete Calgaro says something that I agree with. We are one and separate. All right, so let's assume conscious realism is true. Remember the US currency? E pluribus unum, from many 
One. This is true, I think, fundamentally true. From many conscious agents instantiate an infinite conscious agent that is all of us, one, consciousness, awareness, outside of space and time. But this, the converse, or the transitive property of wokeness is also true. From one, many. From the monad, the monistic belief that there's only awareness springs the diversity of reality. And in fact, there's a little visualization that I've done recently in meditation that I think might be useful here. If you imagine everything in front of you is like a living movie that's playing out on a screen in, in this present moment, and it's just fluttering through the now, like film flutters through the beam of light and shows up on a screen. And all of this is a screen and we're just seeing the flutter of reality in this now moment happening. Imagine yourself as the light that's actually animating that, the light of awareness. So step back from the movie behind you to the empty, the emptiness behind you. You can't see behind you. It just fades into, kind of tapers into nothing. And yet that nothing behind you, that emptiness, the Buddhists call it emptiness, is outside of space and time. It's outside of your standard mind's perception, but it's the empty open awareness from which this movie projects. And it exists only now, it is now. It is this eternal now in which all this stuff is fluttering. And when you, when you practice that meditation, this sort of, who am I? I'm this, and this is all happening on the screen of awareness. It all is made of the same stuff. It's that emptiness manifesting and it's, it's self-knowing. It, that's what it does, it knows. That's what awareness is. Then all of reality changes for you. You can let shit go. You don't identify as thoughts and emotions. You see them arise. Other people are beautiful things that are part of the same field that are arising and they have their own point of view from the field. So from this emptiness, they're emerging a reality and you're an icon in their reality. But yet the reality is we're all the same stuff. Um, and then all the stupid shit happening in Washington and all this garbage about mask or don't mask, suddenly it's like, ah, we're playing games in the living movie, the icons. And the games matter because they affect the suffering or well-being of conscious entities. But if we woke up every conscious entity to realize what it truly is, its true nature and eliminate the delusion, well then suffering would disappear and we would all just be. But that's a little far-fetched. Um, but it's a worthy goal. It's a worthy goal. Um, <laughs> let's see, Nora Brady Flores, uh, who's a supporter. I had a worse first, to, oh, people to be talking about vaccines. Okay, I don't wanna talk about vaccines. Let's see, uh, Tracy Mackin, meditation 478 breathing and Bikram yoga have saved my mind through this COVID-19 crazy world. I'm glad you found a path, Tracy. Everybody has their path. Um, let me see some other comments on YouTube here. Teresa Bose, oh, I was talking to somebody else. Um, Ozzy Mandos, anger is a conscious agent. The interface often represents grief and loss. 
Think about this. So, so each instantiation of conscious agents um, has its own sort of point of view. So right now, your awareness is your level of complexity of conscious agents, emerging something. So everything that makes you up, all these little one bit, two bit, three bit, trillion bit conscious agents interacting with themselves in this network form this sort of boardroom of awareness where you are and they're all part of you. So when a thought bubbles up, where's that thought coming from? Deep in the conscious agent fractal that you are, some conscious agent was exchanging information with another that then sent it up the chain and then it shows up on your boardroom. So anger is just some unconscious agents there, unconscious meaning you're not aware of them, but they're aware of themselves. They're having their own experience. Bubbles it up and here you are having anger as an experience because it just exchanged this experience with you. Now you've identified it as you and you're going into the world, which is another matrix of conscious agents that by the way, that is instantiating a higher experience that we don't have access to and on into infinity, theoretically. Don thinks it's infinite. So that's amazing. Because we can, we can introspect, right? We can understand ourselves better. We can cut through delusion. We can stop getting lost in the sauce. And we can realize that just because our subconscious agents tell us something doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean we ignore our intuition. A lot of times they've been conditioned to help us survive as an entity. And then you gotta think about death. What is death? Maybe death is when that instantiation turns off, but the subconscious agents continue in different ways. And the larger instantiation, it's almost like a little wave happens and something changes. I mean, who knows, right? I don't know, I can't even claim to know, but it's fun to speculate. Um, reflections on of the relational, Rob Harvey on YouTube. Yeah, it's all relational. All experience is relational. Remember each conscious agent is, is a what Don calls mathematically a Markovian kernel, meaning it's it's got a P, a D, and an A. Perceive, decide, and act. Each of those is a, is a Markovian kernel of probability space, so it has options. And those interact with each other and they can actually sum up to form higher uh, probabilities. So in other words, what's the probability it's gonna have this experience, that experience, et cetera. And again, this again ties into quantum mechanics quite nicely, but, uh, I would really recommend you watch that show and I'll put it in the show notes for this. Um, Z should bring this discussion to the Joe Rogan podcast, Savannah. Oh, we'd lose our shit on that podcast for sure, man. And Joe's done a lot of drugs. Like, you know, he's had a lot of DMT experiences. So he's had these experiences. Um, this is interesting. Cindy Ortil on Facebook says, death is when your interface is shattered beyond repair and consciousness must now rebuild a new interface. Now I would say this, I would say the interface, right? So the, the interaction between conscious agents is disrupted. Let me tell you one thing that'll fucking blow your minds. All right, Don talks about this in his book and in his talks. Split brain experiments. So there are patients who have intractable seizures and historically, and Don has worked with the surgeon, as well as Francis Crick, who co-discovered DNA and later in life got interested in consciousness. They worked together as part of this cabal to try to understand consciousness. The split brain experiments said, okay, to stop these seizures, you need to cut the corpus callosum, which is the bridge that 
ties together the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And when they did that, they found the seizure stopped because the electrical communication that was starting in one hemisphere couldn't propagate and the seizures fizzled out. And they said, look, the people seem fine too. There's like not really a problem here. Um, so maybe the corpus callosum is redundant and there isn't a reason to have it. By the way, the guys, you guys who stuck around for this, it's gonna be worth it, I promise. This is good. I just made the connection in my head. So <laughs> I'm acting like I'm so smart. I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. So you cut this and they said, oh, this is fine. The corpus callosum isn't that important, right? Then scientists did a series of neurologic tests on patients who've had their corpus callosum severed. And what they found was nothing less than amazing. Remember, the left side of the brain in most people is responsible for speech, but the right side of the brain can understand speech. The right side of the brain controls the left side of the body and vice versa for the left side. And also has some visual field interesting stuff. So each side of the brain experiences a different part of the visual field. And it's too complicated to get into, all right? So that being said, that's kind of the basic wiring. What they found and I will cut to the chase because at some point we'll do a show on the actual experiments, was that when you cut this corpus callosum, every single piece of evidence, and it's quite clear, points to two separate consciousnesses, no longer able to talk to each other, no longer able to share information in one skull. So you can show the person something in, one visual field. And that means the other side of the brain can't see it and ask a question. And if, if it was the verbal side of the brain, the left side that couldn't see it, that verbal side cannot answer the question. But the right side, which controls the left part of the, of the body, grabs the answer or writes the answer. Do you see what I'm saying? Two separate consciousnesses are clearly there. And all they did was sever this piece of meat. Now, let me explain what I think is happening. Brain, all that, that's an icon. The act of severing the meat does something to the, it has some effect on this matrix of consciousness. What it does is takes, remember I said we start with these one visit, bit conscious agents and they start summing up and interacting and interacting and interacting. What we see as our brain are the last two most complex conscious agents, left and right hemisphere. And then you can include the cerebellum as a separate conscious agent, the brainstem as a separate conscious agent. So these two vast instantiations of consciousness that normally are so in simpatico with exchanging experience and information, that they are perceived by the higher entity, which is you, as one consciousness. Cut that corpus callosum, and whichever is dominant is perceived by the human as the main thing, but the other one's still there, and it's able to be a part of this whole conversation, just not to the degree that it was before. And now you can actually separate them out and realize we are made of 
a vast, possibly nearly infinite instantiation of conscious agents and subconscious agents all the way down that are vying for our attention at any given moment. And this concept of I, this concept of one person pulling the strings and making decisions and being us is bullshit. We are deeply connected to everything within us and everything without. It's all one field and it's explicable through this kind of mathematically and scientifically describable process where you substitute matter and electrons and charge for experience and decisions and perceptions. That's it. We change the language of science. Our current science is the science of our interface. Our future science will be the science of reality. It's no less profound than that. That's why I get excited by this stuff. I mean, it, it, you know, in a hundred years, we're gonna look back and go, we were monkeys about this stuff. We really made a rookie mistake of mistaking our interface for reality. And that's why we just couldn't wake up. That's what I think. Anyways, good talk, guys. <laughs> I probably gotta go. My kids are in the other room. I mean, they're probably just wondering what the hell daddy's talking about. Um, this was uh, a journey for me. Thank you for letting me think these things out, for being with me this long on the journey. You can absolutely disagree with me and I love that. And I want you to come in the comments with your own ideas. If you like this kind of conversation, please share it. If you really love this kind of conversation, join our supporter tribes on Locals, on YouTube, on Facebook. Just go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters and all the links are there. And we kind of go deep on these things and we have a lot of fun and it's a way to support what we do while being part of a tribe that cares about similar stuff. So all that being said, love you guys so much. Thanks to everyone who donated stars on Facebook and supported me. I'll go through and try to like your comments afterwards. It may take me a little while. Um, and thanks to everyone who super chatted me or joined up on YouTube. And thanks to all the locals guys. You guys, if you haven't tried locals.com, it is the shit. If you sign up there, do it on a web browser because it's cheaper. It's five bucks a month instead of $7.99 because the $7.99 covers like Google and Apple fees that they charge for using an app. And locals lets creators keep more like they only take like 10%, whereas Facebook and YouTube take 30%. So this conscious agent does not like getting jacked by big tech. And if you want more freedom between conscious agents to exchange information in an unbiased, loving and rational way, join us on any of these platforms. All right, guys, I love you and we are out. Peace. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. <laughs> and so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, it just really helps the algorithms to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters 
and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.